0: Well, the children can head over to Children's Church. There should be something going on there. Children being up to fourth grade, third grade, somewhere in there. And uh, the rest of you, we're going to stay here and open our Bibles to John chapter 17. See if I can find some notes here for myself. There we go. John chapter 17. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Some of you have been called as jury witnesses, to the jury, to bear witness, to watch the witnesses, to see what's going on. Well, the last time we had a major snow in Acton, which was like nine years ago, I was called as a jury member, and I had to sit through these witnesses, and each one the judge would bring up and say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, And nothing but the truth. Normally, this goes to say that there's some great care that's necessary in the speaking of the witness, the testimony that's being given. And uh, it's someone's duty to actually speak out in truth. When we think about that, they end that phrase traditionally, so help you, God. Nowadays, that's been kind of uh, pushed to the side because we can't involve God with anything having to do with oaths or truth. But historically, I would say there's really been a desire for truth. We want the truth, and we want it verified by something that is solid, that is authoritative, that's not moving, and God is at place. But as we think about a desire for individuals to tell the truth, there's a real importance given to truth, a real desire for that, but yet in the midst of truth, there's always those who are trying to obfuscate the truth. They're trying to hide it and cover it up. You can see that all over in the news, whether it happens to be your college application or other things having to do with politics and so on and so forth. But in a world of wild talk and uh, even fake news, we have Facebook, which is mostly fake book these days. But uh, truth is constantly called into question, what is truth? There's a a late-night post-truther, you may have heard him, Stephen Colbert. He even coined a new word for truth, and he calls it truthiness. Truthiness is defined as a state of intuitive truth without regard for logic, evidence, information, or even facts. So it's an instinctive truth that's felt deep down in the gut. This must be true. I feel that it's so. So it doesn't consider facts, and it has no heart. But in the end, it's absolute truth his little follow-up called Wikiality. It's a a combination. It's a reality where if enough people agree on a notion, it becomes the truth, similar to Wikipedia that's already out there. But uh, let's look at God's word, though, together this morning and hopefully take a fresh look at truth. Open to John 17 if you're not there yet. I guess I'm speaking to myself. There we go. I have a little tab, so it helps me get there more quickly. Verse 6 is what we're going to look at. Followed up all the way to verse 19. Read this together with me. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. What you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, which was so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. There's a lot in this one passage, these verses, but there's a thread that goes all the way through them, and Jesus ended with those words there in verse 19, sanctified in truth, truth. Christ's prayer here, beginning in, in verse 1 of chapter 17, it's really the start of Christ interceding on the behalf of believers to the Father. He's praying for those who God has given him. Though we really call it a prayer, it's obvious that the content of his prayer and uh, the message of his prayer were for his disciples who were listening. They were in mind. It's as though I'm talking to someone over here, and you're able to hear it loud and clear, but yet I'm distinctly talking to them. and I want you to know what's being said. Jesus was doing that in this case as he speaks to the Father. It's really the forerunner of the continuing ministry of Jesus' high priestly ministry in heaven as Paul reminded his young uh, pastor, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4-5, he said there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. That's what Christ is starting here at this point that we see in John 17. We might call this one of the mountain peaks in the revelations of the Gospels. One commentator I was reading, he described it as perhaps the most sacred passage in the four Gospels. It's this, this transition in the ministry of Jesus from him being here on earth being with his disciples to Christ being glorified together with the Father in heaven, and yet mediating for us on our behalf, calling to the Father. In the chronology of Jesus' life, this prayer, it happened just before he was taken at the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, before of his crucifixion. So there's a lot of importance on the final words before he goes away from this earth. This prayer has special, special significance, if I could say those two words together. This prayer has special significance. It's, like I said before, it's the first words that were spoken on behalf of those who had committed their lives to follow him. You know, sometimes we don't know the context of Jesus' prayers. As we've been going through the book of Matthew, often we see Jesus went away to a secluded place to pray. We don't know what happened. Sometimes he's interrupted by a group of 5,000 people. Other times he's able to pray. But we don't hear What's going on? This could have been the same instance. Jesus could have prayed to the Father. We wouldn't have known what was happening. And yet, the Holy Spirit saw fit to direct the Apostle John to write these things down and in detail, giving us the whole idea of what was going on. Not only us, but the disciples who were listening, again, could reread this, could review what God had said. And uh, it was for the sake of those disciples and for the sake of us as we come after them. It really reveals his thoughts And it reveals his focus on truth. Where is truth to be found? Not only that, what is truth? Jesus is concerned for the truth, and he wanted his disciples to be marked with truth. So in the matter of truth, there's a lot of questions that are out there. We've got, what is truth? That happened all the way back when Pilate was asking Jesus about who he was. What is truth? Where can truth be found? Is it anywhere? Is it in a group think? As Stephen Colbert had to say, you know, does it even matter? Does truth, can't we just make up our own stuff and it'd be just fine? Or as we might see in this uh, most recent university scandal, what's a little white lie now and again? Surely that's no big deal. But ever since the beginning, since Satan deceived Eve, truth has been in question. What is right? Whose words are right? And I want to propose to you today that truth is not in question. Truth is not relative, and truth is not your decision. Truth has a source, as we'll look through here and see. God himself. Truth has a foundation, God's very words, and truth has a purpose, the sanctification of the church. Are you willing, am I willing, are we willing even as a church to receive absolute truth from an almighty God? The world says, no, we are not going to do that but God has called us to a different place. I think you'll find that truth does matter as we look through this passage. Truth has a source. God himself, in this case. If some of you post something on Facebook, I see Facebook reposts all the time, so I know you guys are using that. And, uh, but sometimes we post an idea or an ideology that's out there or some new news that uh, catches our attention. But when we look at it, it's like, Okay, what's the source of this? Where is this really true? Where's the basis for all that's going on here? Suddenly, the source becomes extremely important. If someone asks you, "Is that really? Is that really what you believe?" and uh, maybe it ends up being debunked—some circular conspiracy, a theory, a clickbait, something like that—you know, promoted by some profiteering source. There's so many options where this information's coming from. Hopefully, you decide that the information is not actually true and holds no value. But that, uh, as we look at the source, we see that something is awry. The source of information claiming to be true is very, very important. In John 17, verses 6 and 7, Jesus said, I have manifested, I have clearly revealed. I don't usually bring out Greek words, but this is such a great Greek word because we're going to see it later on as God uses this in his revelation. I have manifested, phanarao, phanarao. I have manifested, I have clearly revealed your name to the people who gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept, they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. The source of information claiming to be true is very important. In John 17, 17, which we read earlier, Jesus said, Father, your word is truth. Your word is truth. God is the source of truth. We sang this song, Yahweh, Yahweh. Isaiah forty-five sixteen says, "I, Yahweh, speak the truth. I declare what is right." Aram doesn't even know what I was preaching on specifically, and yet every one of the songs just ties in perfectly as we think about what Jesus is saying here. The s- truth has a source, and God Himself is that source. First Timothy three sixteen is one of those verses that we. We try to memorize often in youth group. We we say it over and over again because it points back to where Scripture is from, where its source is, and it says all Scripture is breathed out by God. Second Peter one twenty one follows up with that. It says, knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture came from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. It's God Himself. That is the source of truth. God himself, that's the source of these words that we're reading even now. So Jesus, as he describes the disciples to God the Father, Jesus tells him, Look at these men that you called out from the world, this rebellious world. I have been working with them for the past few years, and they clearly know who you are and what you are about. I care for them as my own. These guys have heard your word over and over again. They are constantly changing to obey it. And you know what else? They have no doubt in their mind that scripture, redemption, truth is from you. Says in verse 7, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Their source is God. If God is the source of truth, that makes us have to think about where else do we put our authority in for truth? Where are these things coming on from? Who is actually the final authority for truth? But here we see that it's God himself. He's the final authority in regard to truth. Our culture, our world at large, they try to say other things. They even bristle at the thought of authority. At least if the authority is outside of themselves or outside of something they support, then suddenly it becomes an issue. But the world is especially opposed to the authority of God. You may have seen this as... Textbooks come out as schools decide what they're going to teach, what they're going to do, where is their authority placed. And there's a view called scientism that's very pervasive today. Scientism is all about where truth can be found. It's, it's in the intellectual and cultural air that we breathe. When you try to describe something, it comes out as scientism as in much of the world. It's a form of naturalism where everything can be explained by what we know in the natural world. I have a finger, therefore I must have a hand. You know, I mean, that's a very simplified idea of it, but we go from what we see, what we feel, and touch, and that explains everything. Nothing outside of that can be reality because it's not natural. It goes and uses hard sciences like chemistry, biology, physics, astronomy, all to describe truth. And those things are then thought to provide the only true and genuine idea of what truth is. At the very least... The scientific knowledge that's put into that is vastly superior to anything else, especially something from another discipline, ethics and religion. Those are kind of acceptable, but it's just your personal opinion. It's just an idea because it's, it's intangible. It's not something that's natural, that's out there that you can put your finger on. One philosopher called scientism, the belief that science, especially natural science, is the most valuable part of human learning because it is the most authoritative or serious, or beneficial. So in scientism, therefore, science is the very paradigm of truth. Science holds the authority for truth. Whoa, whoa, hold on now. What was that again? Science? I thought as we looked at what the apostles and Jesus said, God was the source of truth. God is the one who proclaimed truth. Today's world wants to make attractive ways so that God opposers can simply say it's people that are the authority for truth. Any person who's smart enough, any person who has a weird enough idea or popular enough can decide truth. If they put it out there, it must be true because, look, they've, uh, they've got a following. If we were to be these, as these first disciples, authority for truth must be recognized as God's authority. Everything that the Father has given Jesus is from God. Truth as a source, it's God himself. Not only does truth have that source; it has a foundation. God's own words, in John 17:8, read that with me. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This gift is the direct, personal knowledge of God. It's the promise of the new covenant, that they would know God, that they would know the truth that is in God. Jeremiah 31, 34 says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor, or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. God is revealing his truth, and we will know him, those who he has called. This knowledge, it's of both the Father and the Son. Here Jesus highlights and commends the disciples who have received the words from his father words given to Jesus by God himself and by receiving these words the disciples they believed who Jesus really was there wasn't a question of what was true they realized Jesus was not just a man but he was the son of God he was sent from God for their salvation from the wrath of God this is what God's words proclaimed, and they recognized it, and they were able to know in truth because there's a foundation for the truth, and those are the words of God Himself. Last week, we looked at Matthew, and uh, it sure looked like these disciples had problems understanding Jesus' teaching about what defiles a person. God, Jesus has gone through this whole litany of, of things, and they're like, I don't know, I, I don't quite follow that. What makes a person unclean or unfit for God? It's almost as if they didn't understand sin and its consequences. If you were to jump back there, Matthew 15 says, or Peter speaks out. He says, explain the parables to us. And Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Well, despite the many limitations of the disciples and where they were at, here Jesus can say that they have these words, they have received them, As a result, they have come to know the truth. They have an understanding that is beyond just the basic ideas. They understand and grasp the fundamental truths of Jesus and their eternal Savior. Jesus can be explained only in terms of the Father here. They have come to know the truth that I came from you. I came from the Father. And they have believed that you sent me. The Father sent Jesus Christ. Look at this. The truth about Jesus it came through accepting God's word. Given to them by Jesus, truth has a foundation. It's God's own words. We find those words written down in this book or some similar compilation of them that you might have in front of you. But on the uh, the Friday night group, they looked through a video, watching how do we know God's word is true? How do we? How can we see the authenticity of it? The authority of it? All those things, and. Not only is it believers that hold to the authenticity of Scripture, but even non-believers, those who see and check out the manuscripts, there's more written facts about the Bible, written, what would you call, proofs of God's Word through manuscripts than any other book, anything else you study. You might go to school and have to study history. You study the greats, the Greeks, all of those things. There are more copies of God's Word than any of those. There are more copies close to the time of Christ's writing, Christ's being on earth than any of those. And sometimes it's by 700 years difference. It's just a major, major dichotomy between the things that the world holds as true and faithful compared to what they say about God's word. And normally trying to push it under the carpet and say that this isn't true, this is not what you need to follow. Look at Plato, look at Aristotle, Socrates. Look at these guys. They are the ones who have provided truth we don't have much to say about them, except for one text we found 1,500 years later. But it's true, and we're going to stand by that. So here we have God's word. And Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples, it's face-to-face. They are witnesses of the truth. There's not this time gap. There's not an you know, a, a area for misunderstanding to occur. It's Jesus telling them. And he says, I have manifested it clearly. I have shown it to them clearly what is going on. They know that the truth has a foundation and it's in God's word. This passage here, 17 verses 6 through 19, it doesn't only talk about God's truth, but here at this next section, it's almost as Jesus takes an aside. He recognizes that he's pointed out the truth that these disciples are following, recognizes what that truth means. If we put that into practice in our lives, if they follow that wholeheartedly, there's going to be, Some difficulties. It's not going to be an easy road. And he's preparing them for that. Look with me at John 17, verse 9 and following. Jesus comes in here. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those who you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you. In the midst of Jesus' prayer and a proven commentary and the disciples' response to truth, it's time to take a step back and just assess the situation. Jesus has made some powerful claims about truth and the source of truth, the foundation of truth, and even the humble obedience to truth of the disciples. It's found in a few men of God's own choosing. Jesus knows it's no small task to remain obedient to the truth. You might think about this even in your own life, how difficult sometimes it can be to hold fast to the truth that you've known, that you've studied, that you've claimed over and over again. But these next few verses in that aside that I just read, Jesus talks to the disciples. He talks to them for their protection, protection from the wolves. I mean, the world that is around them, both wolves and world. That prayer, though, it's specifically for those who follow him. He's not praying for the world, that everyone's going to be saved. He's not praying for the salvation of those who have rejected his message. But it's for those few whom God has called as his own, chosen out of the world. It goes right right back to what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. I know it's probably been a few months since uh, Pastor Wayne talked on that. But we've heard it many times before. Matthew 7, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, And the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Verse 14 of of Matthew 15 or of Matthew 7 says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Here Jesus is talking to those few, the few at the beginning that expanded and expanded. It grew larger, but it's still few in contrast to the many that do not believe God's word. Well, as we think about that, verse 10 speaks of the disciples' achievement in following God's word. Jesus is glorified in them. He's glorified in these men. There can be few more encouraging statements in the New Testament. If we recall the disciples' level of achievement to this point, as we kind of talked about earlier, it's a remarkable claim. It's full truth to be realized only after the Pentecost and even in the years to come. But even then, however, the disciples will always be left less than perfect. But they are bringing glory to God. Bringing glory to Christ as his disciples is rooted in their trust in him as their savior. Their trust, and our trust now, defends his work, and in that sense, it glorifies him. Yet, it's not just about our trust. Sometimes we think we can just trust something, and that's all that goes on here. Our glorifying is not only confined to that. But it's a great incentive for us to be obedient to the truth. Obedience calls for action for us to move from disobedience, from unrighteousness, to obedience and righteousness. We're going from that unclean that we talked about even last week to the clean, the defiled to the undefiled, as God is working through us with his truth. True disciples are not only believe, they obey, and God is glorified. Jesus is glorified in this. Jesus already sees his his role kind of complete here on earth as he speaks to his disciples. His sacrifice on the cross is without question. He says here that, you know, he's already out of this world and he's coming to the Father. It's the disciples who remain in the world to continue his work. It's the disciples that take this hard task of holding the truth and upholding the truth. And God is concerned with that as he continues in verse 11, part the second part. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have been given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, and you have given them to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It's such a contrast, Holy Father, a great contrast to the wicked world that opposes the word of God, And Jesus makes that contrast. Here is holiness, righteousness, something so different and set apart from the world. And he wants that father to be the one who's protecting the children, the disciples, as they're here on earth. The power of the former, the Holy Father, is surely more than sufficient to offset the influence of the latter. Jesus is asking the father to stand guard as we are left here without him on the earth in the sense of him physically being here, He's here living in us, each and every one of us as believers and working in us. But he's asking the Father to stand guard against and over these men, to give them kind of a divine surveillance as they are attacked by the world, as they are brought with spiritual harm even possible. Their keeping was to protect the truth entrusted to them, to protect the truth. As we think about it being a church, we're actually called the pillar and buttress of the truth. That's our role as a body, as a congregation, to uphold that. And here, God is starting that. Jesus is calling for the beginning of that as the Father is protecting them to keep the truth. Jesus always wants his followers to remain in the truth, to remain united in love and in defense of the truth. Just as the Father and Son, that was their goal, to be one, to be standing for the truth at all times. Even in Christ, it required his sacrifice as he upheld the truth, and provided salvation for those who did not believe. It says, though, that they may have Christ's joy fulfilled in them. Here's one who said he's leaving the earth. He knows the suffering that's coming, the anguish that's going to be just in a moment. And yet, he says, they may have my joy. It's not an on-again, off-again joy. It's a joy that continues, a joy that is as a result of knowing God's word, knowing that it's truth and following in those things, looking forward to eternity with Christ. Neither the hostility from without nor the apostasy from within quenched the joy of Jesus. He kept moving forward. And that's what he wants with the disciples to do, that neither the hostility from without or the apostasy from within will keep us from having a joy in Jesus Christ. There's so much more going on here that Christ talks about and there's so much that Christ has given his disciples that should result in joy. He's given them the word of God. He sees them not as rebellious sinners, which he calls the world. No, they are not of the world, he says. And even if the disciples remain in the midst of God's enemies, Jesus is the one interceding on their behalf. He's going as a mediator between us and God so that we can be insured to uphold the truth if we are following in his footsteps. He's even here adjuring God, the Father, to keep, to protect, to guard, to hold frail and weak men from the grip of Satan's deception. As we think about that, this is what Jesus himself is asking the Father for us. Who else would be able to accomplish this? Who else would be able to stand in our stead and talk to the Father in this way? Jesus Christ has done that for us. And we can go with joy knowing what he's done. Joy even in the midst of the trials of the world as we proclaim his truth. Jesus finishes there in verse 14 of John 17. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask for you them to take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Jesus repeats that many times we are different as a result of the word that he has given us, the world now hates us. And we're not of the world. We've, we have a different position, a different place. We're not to hold on to truthiness or become part of wicked reality, whatever that is. But instead, we are to hold to God's word and truth. We're being protected from the evil one, as he says here. That's his aside. He's concerned. As we think about truth, Jesus is concerned. Where is this truth going to be upheld if it's not upheld in the church? Starting with these disciples that God had given him here in the beginning, going all the way to now 2,000 years later as we sit here and uh, hear his word again and proclaim that word out. Jesus is concerned for the truth and he is interceding for us even now. The disciples God has called out of the world, they share in the family relationship Jesus has with the Father They're not of the world, just as he is not of the world. We have a supernatural dwelling waiting for us as one day we are reunited with the Savior. Those who follow God are not alone. We are cared for and protected. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He knows that truth has its source, it has a foundation. God is protecting us personally in our pursuit of this truth. But truth also has a purpose. It's not just there to be truth floating around in the cloud somewhere. Truth has a purpose. It's to be implanted in our hearts, in us as the church. The church's sanctification, John 17, 17 through 19, it says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. I could just keep repeating that. Those are such powerful words. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. If you haven't memorized something in the last week, month, year, These are some words to memorize, what God's word is. Truth is what God is using to sanctify us, setting us apart from the defiled to the undefiled, from the world to God's children, setting us apart for a purpose. And he's using the truth. That truth is his word alone. Your word is truth. The idea of sanctification, that idea of setting apart for a particular use, Believers are set apart for God's purposes and God's alone, nothing else. It's so that the believer only does what God does, only does what God wants, and also we hate what God hates. It changes our mentality, it changes our attitudes, our actions. And sanctification is accomplished by the means of truth. If you don't have truth, if you just have all sorts of haphazard ideas that are directing you, that's not sanctification. All of a sudden, we look like the world again. We're eccentric to the nth degree. We've got ideas of philosophy from over here, ideas from science over here, ideas from some other ideas over here, uh, our exercise routine, something like that. All of these ideas coming together then form what we think, what we're doing, what we're planning. And often, almost exclusively, those lead us away from God because they are not Pointing us in that direction. They're what the world is using to hide the truth. Only sanctified believers actually are ready to be sent into the world, though. As verse 18 says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. These words, they're really directed at the eleven, those apostles that were left, minus the one son of perdition who was. Lost, But that was so that even God's word then would be shown as truth, so that God's word would be fulfilled. God had said hundreds of years before that there would be the one who turned himself over and betrayed Christ. Here we see years later that God's word, his truth is being upheld even in that. God didn't lose the battle. He lost a soul who had already been destined for that purpose as God had proclaimed before. His truth was being verified again and again. Through what had happened. But these men, having been set apart from the world and transformed by God's grace, these disciples, they were to be heralds, speakers, proclaimers of what is going on, the grace that God had given them. They were supposed to give that to the very world that hated them. They were left here in the world so that through their witness, the world would be exposed to the gospel and that many would come to saving faith. It was not without a purpose that truth was given to them. It was for their sanctification so that they would be set apart for God's work. But as he ended there, this salvation, this ability to speak and proclaim wouldn't even be possible if it weren't for the sacrificial death of the Son. For the disciples' sake, Jesus would sanctify himself. He says, I consecrate myself. He set himself apart and took sin upon himself so that through that he could sanctify us in truth. He would set himself apart to righteously obey the Father's will by dying on the cross. It was only because he atoned for the sins of mankind that they themselves would also be sanctified in the truth. If Christ had not done that, we would be continuing in sin. If he hadn't fulfilled God's desire and will, where would we be? Truth would be out the window, and there, there would be nothing to believe but the lawlessness of the world. Well, As we look at these few words here, they're really directed immediately at Jesus' 11 disciples as he's praying to them. But that's not where it ended. Verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. It's directed to them. They're the ones right in his presence, but it's for us as we continue and hear these truths. Jesus implores God the Father to set them apart in truth. God must be involved if we're going to hold fast to the truth of God's word. It's not something we can do on our own. We can't just sit here and, you know, like, learn by osmosis, reading this through every year and just have all tons of knowledge about God's word. That's not what does it. It's God and his spirit. God gave those words to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ passed them on personally to his disciples. The disciples have now passed those words on to the church, which we now have in our hands. God is the source of truth. God's words are the foundation of truth. Then the place we need to look to know this truth is the Bible, God's very words. Well, it's not easy these days to stand up for what one believes. We've said that before, but it, it really never has been. It was, it's not like it's harder now all of a sudden than it was a long time ago or even 10 years ago. The psalmist tells us way back, Psalm 116, all men are liars. Undeniably, this indictment of mankind is true, as Freddie just acclaimed with his amen there. Satan's lie. It's what seduced and initiated the separation of man from God in the Garden of Eden. And sadly, that's really served as our model of truth-telling ever since. It's somewhat of just a half-truth. It's not the whole thing. Oh, you won't surely die, as, as, as Satan tells Eve. And yet, here we are, through one man's sin into the world, and death through sin so that all men die. And yet... In Christ, through one man, sin was conquered, and through him, life was given. Christ took death on himself so that we might live. And yet, there's all this sin, this, this, uh, the lies, those untruths around us that are trying to chip away at what we believe and what we hold fast to. The world is at war with a holy God I would say people go to great lengths to keep us from believing and trusting God's word, to keep us from believing in the truth. Pastor Wayne read last week on Romans 1, so much about truth in Romans 1. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Man, there's the reason for this animosity. They suppress the truth. But it keeps going about the truth here. For what can be known about God is plain to them. That's an interesting word, plain. It's exactly the same word as what Jesus used to to say that he has revealed himself to the disciples. It has been made plain to them, and they followed and obeyed it. Here it's been made plain to those in the world, and they rejected it and obscured it. It's been plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Here are those that have heard, it's been plainly told, just as plainly as Jesus has explained to his disciples the same idea, and yet such a different response to truth, rejection or reception, Two paths that have totally different end games in mind. But for the believer in Jesus Christ and his salvation from sin and eternal life, we're called to be set apart from the remainder of humanity, set apart in our commitment to truth. The remainder of humanity is talked about here again in Romans. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Wow, that's a big difference. Those who follow truth and those who try to hide it. Jonah, back in the Old Testament, he knew truth. We can know lots about truth. He said that I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. But what he did with truth was not anything what God desired. Jonah knew to be true of God, was absolutely correct. But the reality was that Jonah had no impact on his life as a result of his knowledge. We all face that scary prospect of, of having correct knowledge, knowing all the right Orthodoxy, the things from the church, the teachings of God's word—it's in our head, but it's not tangible, impacting our lives. It's not in our hearts. We talked about the heart of the matter last week, and how how that affects everything. There's so many aspects that are changed as a result of our heart. But Second uh, Thessalonians two nine through twelve talks about those, just like in in Romans. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. A second, 2 Thessalonians 2.9. This begins with an attack on God's word, this truth. The truth exchanged for a lie. It's used in Satan's first tactics again to change the world's view of what is true, changing God's word to even not be true. The whole truth is vital. It's not just a bunch of men who wrote this word, a bunch of men who are just like every other book writer and author who make mistakes, who are just, you know, thinking up thoughts. No, the Bible was written down by men, but it was written by God as they were inspired and carried along. The men might have held the pen but God is the one who gave his words to them to write with perfect precision. He revealed his will to each man, and the divine author literally breathed out the seamless book in one singular message to his followers through 40 authors spanning over nearly 2,000 years. And here we have it, Jesus calling it truth, and we are to be sanctified by this truth, the word of God. My last thought here, one of my seminary professors, Michael Grassanti, he recently wrote on the topic of truth. Just this last week, I saw his article. It says, what our world needs to hear is a biblically-based presentation of God in all his glory, majesty, and power. He is the one and only God whom all mankind will have to give an answer. Postmodern thinking, which means anyway is fine, leads to postmodern living. Any conduct is fine. May that never characterize our lives or our church. An absolutely distinctive God of great power deserves nothing less than followers who live clearly distinctive lives that point all around them to an awesome God. In a world that rejects exclusive truth claims, let's commit ourselves to be spokesmen and teachers and deacons and elders, men and women who place the spotlight on the conversation and interaction on the great God of the universe as the Bible defines him. Truth has a source, God himself. Truth has a foundation, God's words. And truth has a source, a a purpose, to sanctify us. The Father has set us apart to believe, obey, and proclaim the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. Dear Lord, as we think of your words We ask that you will keep us, that you will be the one that protects us, that our church will be upheld as a result of your spirit working in us. It's nothing we can do on our own, nothing that we as individuals can provide, but God, it's through your words, your teachings, your spirit, and your protection that we can stand here today to be upholders of your truth, to be the the foundation, pillar, buttress of your truth. God, thank you that you've given us your word, that you've proclaimed these things now that you've shown your personal care for us back as the disciples were developed and even now as you're developing us as your disciples here on this earth. God, help us to follow you now that we will proclaim your truth boldly and that even as the world comes and hates us, that your, your word and your truth will be upheld. In Jesus' name, amen.